Hello, mi gente. This is Carolina Contreras, and you are listening to Hustling With Your Heart. I am so happy to be back on here for episode number two, and I am so glad that y'all enjoyed episode number one on the imposter syndrome. I also saw that y'all listened to me and did your homework. Y'all slid into my DMs, and you left really cool topics and questions that I cannot wait to tackle on here. But as I promised, today we're going to talk a little bit about moi. I'm going to share a little bit about my story, things I don't normally share on my social media or during speaking engagements. So I'm excited for you to get to know me a little better, know where I came from and what brought me here um, today. Before I get started, I want to share a quote that one of my favorite professors shared with us, um, Professor Reverend Charles Rice, who passed away last year. It's actually one of the most devastating deaths that I've experienced. Reverend Rice was like a father figure to me and a mentor and someone who guided me throughout my four years of college and then beyond. So um, maybe further along the line, I'll share more about the Rev because the Rev was a character. And I really think that a lot of the things he taught me um, are important and have shaped my life. So I would love to share those with you in the future. The quote is by James Baldwin, and it's from the book, The Fire Next Time. And it's actually a letter that James Baldwin wrote to his um, nephew, James. The quote goes like this. You were born where you were born and faced the future that you faced because you were black and for no other reason. The limits of your ambition were thus expected to be set forever. You were born into a society which spelled out with brutal clarity and in as many ways as possible that you were worthless human being. You are not expected to aspire to excellence. You are expected to make peace with mediocrity. Wherever you have turned, James, in your short time on this earth, you have been told where you could go and what you could do and how you could do it and who you could marry. I know your countrymen do not agree with me about this, and I hear them saying, you exaggerate. They do not know Harlem, and I do. So do you. Take no one's word for anything, including mine, but trust your experience, know whence you came. This entire quote resonates with me and my life story, but specifically that last line, the, the line that says, take no one's word for anything, including mine, but trust your experience, know whence you came. It's just something that, has, that I've kept with me forever since college. I've learned to trust my experience. I've learned to understand where I came from and how in some ways it has defined me, um, and I'm here to share it with you. So my name is Carolina Contreras, <laughs> but actually my government name is Caroline Jacqueline. My parents thought it was cute that Caroline and Jacqueline rhymed, and that's what they named me. But they never call me Caroline. They always call me Carolina. So there you have it. You have my government name now. I was born in the Dominican Republic um, in this barrio called 27 de Febrero, or 27 of February. And it's still one of the poorest, one of the most dangerous barrios in Santo Domingo, in the country um, of the Dominican Republic. And at two months old, my mom left me with my grandmother and my father, and she left to the U.S. She left to the U.S. to do what so many of our parents do, to search for a better life for me and my brother. At four years old, she finally was able to get us our visas and our uh, residence or green cards and take us to the U.S. with her. So 
four years old, I arrived to Boston, Massachusetts, and I actually lived in that area for most of my life. Um, when I was about maybe six or seven years old, we moved to Somerville, Massachusetts, which, which is now completely gentrified. Um, Somerville, Massachusetts is where Tufts University is and where Harvard University is. However, I did not live the tough and Harvard life. Um, my mom and my brothers and I lived in a very low income status uh, throughout our lives. I remember that when I was in high school, I wrote a poem called Government Cheese because it's something that we ate a lot. I don't know if you're familiar with government cheese, but it's that like tasteless American yellow cheese that we would put on white Wonder Bread with ketchup because that's what Wick used to give us. I remember paying with food stamps at the corner store before um, I started, you know, elementary school or high school, and I would get my Funyuns and my um, Cheetos uh, cheese rings, which I loved back then. It was a tough upbringing. I was the oldest one of my family. Uh, we're family of six, four biological siblings, two adopted, two cousins that we, my mom took on. And my mom was a single mom, so my father wasn't present during our upbringing. And for those of you who are Latinos, you know, as a second eldest and as, a, as the, the oldest daughter, you know, in the house, I had a lot of responsibilities. So I learned how to cook when I was nine years old. I learned how to clean the house. I learned how to do everything around the house. And it was honestly miserable. Um, I hated it. And I remember when I was in eighth grade, I was just so sick and tired of doing all this work. And as a way of getting out of it, I started doing extracurricular activities, ironically enough. That's the route I took. Um, I started volunteering. I started babysitting. And I started um, doing just after-school programs when I was in eighth grade. So when I went to high school, I already had all this stuff under my belt. And it was so easy for me to, like, get into a lot of clubs in high school. So in high school, I did the same thing to try and not stay home and, and cook and clean. I... Um, I did uh, the academic decathlon. I was in the swim team. I didn't even know how to swim. I learned how to swim in the swim team. I was in the student council. I had like three jobs, y'all. I would wake up in the morning, go to the high school, finish at the high school, go to the YMCA. At the YMCA, I would work from like 2.30, 2.45 to 6.30, taking care of kids. Then I would like clean floors for an hour for extra time. And then I would work in the gym downstairs, giving towels and keys to the people who use the gym at the Y. So I was working all the time or doing some kind of extracurricular activities so that I didn't have to be home. Um, at home, it was, it was tough. Um, I often struggle with how much I can share and, and, and I, and I do hold back and I want to hold back on some details. Just, you know, I, I don't think it's fair to family members for me to put all of our business out there. However, I think it's really important, important for me and my siblings, um, because it's part of our stories. You know, we had a household full of so many different things, including drugs, including mental health issues and just so much dysfunction. Um, and yet something propelled me to just continue to keep going and to push forward and to get good grades and to aspire to go to college. And so I did. When I was um, in 11th grade, 
I started applying to colleges and I was so lucky that I had all these mentors that believed in me and that had set very high expectations of me. When people ask me, how did you do it? How did you come out the way you came out, quote unquote, um, after coming from a household full of just all this stuff? Um, and my answer is my mentors, my mentors that that I surrounded myself with, certain teachers and, and professors who just saw more in me than I saw in myself and constantly pushed me and constantly set really high expectations for me. So I applied to all these colleges and universities and I was the first one to go to college for my family and I went to college in Pennsylvania to Ursinus College. While I was there, I've always been an overachiever, so I did a lot there too. Um, I was doing all sorts of things. I did... Um, Gosh, I was the president and treasurer of like the student union and the Latino student union. And I, I started a really cool club for the custodial staff that was predominantly Mexican. And um, we were teaching them English. They were teaching us um, Spanish. We got a grant from Verizon where we could get paid to do this. And we were even able to take the custodial staff to New York for the very first time. We rented a bus and we took their family and them to Times Square. And it was a lot of fun. Um, so I did a lot in college. I even traveled to France and it was my first time leaving the country. I spent six months in Marseille and had a, had a really good college experience, I would say. Very challenging, but it was a lot of fun. I kept busy. Um, and obviously, I worked throughout my entire college career in order to pay for my living expenses and to pay for some some of the school um, debt that I incurred every year. School debt. That's another podcast for another day. So anyways, so where are we? We are graduating college. I graduated college in 2009. I know I look like I'm 19, y'all, but I'm turning 32 in December. So I graduated in 2009. I can't believe it's going to be 10 years since I graduated college. Um, and before graduating, right before graduating, actually, I realized that I really wanted to come to the DR because I never visited while I was growing up. And it was so frustrating because I wanted to know and understand why I spoke Spanish the way I did, why I danced bachata, why I cooked the way I did. And I lived in Somerville, Massachusetts, and there were like maybe two Dominican families in the entire town. So there weren't a lot of Dominican people around me. And I didn't really have a good grasp of the culture. So I wanted to know. And my mom couldn't take us because she couldn't afford to bring six children to the DR and you know she couldn't bring me by myself because then who would stay home with the kids actually when she would go and visit the DR I would stay at the house and take care of my brothers and sisters anyway so finishing I was finishing college and I decided that for my mom's 40th birthday I wanted to surprise her with a ticket to the DR and I wanted her and I to discover this land where I was born together and I did just that um, I came here with my mom in 2000 and, um, well, it's December of 2008, literally on the 31st of December. So I, I was here early 2009 and I was disappointed. You know, I was disappointed because I came and I was constantly being bombarded with all these racial issues. I wasn't served at a, at a uh, bar on the beach because of my skin color. And I just, kept just seeing and experiencing all these things that were race related or skin color related. I was very 
very upset. So I get it for those of you who have banned the DR, for those of you who have experienced things here, I get it because I live them too. Um, however, these experiences just made me more curious. These, these experiences just ignited in me this feeling of wanting to know why things were the, the way they were. And ironically enough, in college, I studied the Haitian, Dominico-Haitian relations. And, you know, it's very different when you're in a college classroom with AC in the U.S., um, in, a, in a middle-class community studying these things. And it's very, very different to be on the ground and seeing it for yourself. So for me, that was really important. It was really eye-opening. So I didn't want to just write off my country because of what I lived. I wanted to know more. And that kind of stayed with me. So I went back to the U.S., finished college. It was my last semester. I was left with all these like questions subconsciously. Um, then I read the book, The Brief and Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde by Juno Diaz. I loved it. And it also triggered all of these, I want to know more questions, right? Then finally, when I was graduating, I had the option of going to Dubai for a photography internship. I had gone there before in March for a Education Without Borders conference. And I remember there was this amazing um, photography professor there. And I gave him my portfolio because I was obsessed with photography. He liked what he saw. And he said, you should apply for my internship. And I got it. So I got the internship in Dubai. But I also applied for a full-time position as a case manager in Philadelphia. Now guess what I chose? <laughs> of course, I went to Dubai. So I went to Dubai. Um, and right before I went to Dubai, um, I missed my flight to Atlanta, which was my connecting flight because of some kind of weather situation. So I was so upset. I was like, I'm going to miss my first day of my internship. I cannot believe this. I was really upset because although the internship was free, I paid $2,300 for this ticket. So I was like, I cannot believe that this is going to affect, you know, my entire like internship thing. Turns out that during my time, my layover in Atlanta, I had a friend who was there on vacation. She was from there, but she lived in, in Hollywood, California, and she was there visiting an amazing person. And she waited for me at her hotel with like the bathrobe laid out. And she's like, don't worry, take a shower. Let's have brunch. It was so amazing to see her. And then she takes me to Sammy Nicely's home, which is this incredible artist from, um, from Atlanta. And there I met Jerry Wright one of the first African-American uh, men who graduated from Harvard um, with a, a degree in anthropology. Guess what Jerry Wright's thesis was on, y'all? Like, come on, guess. <laughs> Can you believe his thesis was on the Dominican Republic and the whole entire, like, racial thing in the DR and the different people who were here, the, 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 the slave folks, who enslaved folks who came from um, southern United States and from the Caribbean um, to the island and blah, 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 like, all these incredible, like, things that connected to all the questions I already was having before meeting this guy. So this conversation, plus the Juno Diaz book, plus the my, my trip earlier that year, all of those things together made me feel like I needed to come to the GR for at least two months to understand what was happening here before I moved on to my life. And by moving on to my life, I mean, I thought I was going to, first of all, I thought I was going to be a diplomat. I wanted to be a foreign officer. 
Um, but then I shadowed someone at the UN and it was a big no, no. I'm like, I don't want the government to own me. So no. Then I wanted to be an immigration lawyer. So I was supposed to, after Dubai, go to Costa Rica, get my TOEFL, go to Brazil um, and teach English as a second language for two years because I really have an obsession with Brazil. I still haven't been able to get there, but I feel like I have like maybe ancestors that were divided um, from Africa into Brazil and Dominican Republic. And I feel like something's calling me there. So I wanted to spend two years there. And then after that, I wanted to go to law school and become an immigration lawyer. Yeah, that obviously didn't happen, right? Um, I ended up booking a flight to the Dominican Republic while I was still in Dubai. And right after I booked it, my professor, the, the internship was supposed to be a month. My professor was called to teach in London and he had to cancel the last week of the internship. And because he had to cancel the last week of the internship, he refunded our entire flight to Dubai. So he refunded me $2,300 cash money. And that money, of course, I used it to come to the DR. I don't think it was... Uh, just uh, something that happened, like a pure coincidence. I really think it was this thing we call, I like to call in Spanish, the Ocidencia, which is like a God or divine intervention for me to come here. So with that money, I obviously was able to live here for the two months, quote unquote, two months that I was supposed to come. So I arrived to Boston and a few days later, I, you know, I go to the airport and as I'm waiting for my flight to go to the Dominican Republic, I write a tweet in my personal tweet from back then that says, on my way to the DR to rediscover my roots. I had no clue what I was writing when I wrote that, <laughs> rediscover my roots. I don't even know what I meant when I said that. But it turns out that I literally rediscovered my roots, like quite literally, like I rediscovered my hair roots because it wasn't until I was here in the Dominican Republic that with a bunch of situations that I was going through uh, from it being just too hot and from just a bunch of things like the the weather and and of course, this idea that I wanted to feel more comfortable in my skin, that I decided to leave my hair naturally while I was here. So y'all know how the story goes, right? I ended up not leaving two months after the two months that, that I was supposed to be here for. I ended up staying. I ended up staying. I spent all my money. Um, and I had to get a job. So I got a job at, the, at this nonprofit that worked with sex workers and um, that worked with men who had sex with men for money. It worked with um, at-risk youth, uh, migrant workers, and um, yeah, just at-risk community. And, and ironically enough, drug users as well. So I ended up working in this NGO. I went in as the secretary and executive secretary, uh, bilingual secretary. And of course, the first day, the my boss was like, yeah, you can't be a secretary. You have a lot of knowledge and, and just social work. And I think you could be a coordinator. So on my very first day, he hands me a portfolio with like three projects for me to manage. Mind you, I've been in the country for two months, right? And I my Spanish is okay, but I didn't, I didn't write Spanish like perfectly by any means. And it was just, I was nervous, but Hey, I needed the money and it seemed like a really cool experience. I ended up staying in that NGO for about four years. I was making $500 a month and I ended up um, by the end of my time there making four or five times more than what I was making. Um, when I started, it was a really beautiful four years. It was very tiresome. It was very um, draining, overwhelming and 
I was definitely burnt out by the time I was done there, but it was just such a beautiful experience where I learned how to do so many things. I was doing investigation, formative investigations, and I was doing just so many cool things. I was writing grants and managing all these different projects, and I'm so grateful for that opportunity. So I'm not going to talk a lot about Mesrizos, but fast forward... um, Four years, and you know, I decided to go back to my natural hair. Miss Resources is born. So, 2012, um, I'm on a trip to the US and I come back to the Dominican Republic. And the night I come back, um, something, something really terrible happens, and something that marked my life forever happened that night. Um, a guy comes into my home, and I'm sleeping naked. He goes into my kitchen, he gets a knife, he goes into my bedroom, he puts my own pillow on my face, and he literally takes everything that has value in my home with him. Um, He took my laptop, my phone, my brand new phone, he took um, sneakers, anything you can imagine. I had some cash that I had brought back for a payment that I had to do. He took that. He he took everything that had value. My professional um, camera that I had gotten, this laptop that was so expensive because I had got it, I had gotten it specifically for my um, photography. So the thing, the one thing he did take that didn't necessarily have a monetary value, but that was, I think, the most significant was my peace of mind. Um, with him, he took that and and that marked my life forever. Um, he, thankfully, he he didn't rape me. He didn't touch me. Um, I was able to put on clothes and, you know, and start giving him all my stuff. He spent about 45 minutes in my home. Um I couldn't sleep in that home again. I moved out to a a different space and I moved out with my boyfriend at the time who was very supportive throughout my post-traumatic stress disorder, which, man, I get it. I get people that go through those things because you become so disassociated from reality and from, from anything and you don't care about anything. It's like, it's such a terrible feeling. Um, And I am so so proud that I was able to come out of that because that that was a very 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 ugly place. So I couldn't I, I couldn't feel safe in the country. I was feeling always very just jumpy and nervous and afraid. So I got an email from my high school. I was a mediator in high school for four years, and they were offering me a position. And I loved the mediation program while I was there. So I thought it was a good opportunity to leave the Dominican Republic and to start new somewhere and 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 to just get a fresh start. So I left my boyfriend. I left um, my really good job. I left my apartment. And I decided to go back to the States. And when I got to the States, I was living with my sister and her living room was so small. So I I was sleeping in an air mattress in her kitchen. Um, And it was really hard. It was really hard. I actually lasted there just about a week and a half because she lived just 20 minutes from where I was working, but by car and I didn't have a car. So I had to take um, two buses and a train and walk like 12 minutes. So it would take me like literally almost two hours to get to my job. And I would have to um, be literally on my way out the door by 5.45 in the morning. So that just wasn't sustainable. So I moved to my mom's house and I was sleeping on my mom's couch. I was there for about 
two months or so, and it was unbearable, as you can imagine, to be back home after being an adult. I think I was 27. And I was just so confused. I'm like, what? What? I'm back at my mom's house on the couch after being so independent in the Dominican Republic and having my own apartment and my own everything. And it was just so crazy. I, you know, fell into a deep depression. I gained all this weight. And I was just miserable, miserable, miserable. And to and more on top of that, I hated my job. On my very first day, my boss told me to um, switch my, actually, she gave me acetone to remove my nail polish. I had a beautiful, like, hunter green, forest green nail polish. And she said, she said to me that that wasn't professional, which is absolutely absurd because my nail polish had nothing to do with my work and it it wasn't allowed nail polish by any means so from the very first day of work she marked um, what my experience would be like and it was a very terrible one so I was miserable at work I was miserable at my mom's house finally decided to go on Craigslist like many people do I found three random roommates and I moved into an apartment in Somerville paying a thousand dollars for a freaking bedroom nothing included but I was so desperate that I was like I'm gonna do this and so I did um, I was there for about a year and a half total, um, in the U S and then I was like, I cannot do this anymore. Um, I remember being so upset because I was like literally starting new constantly. So at my, at my sister's house and at my mom's house and then at this apartment. And I was just, I was so upset, but March, 2014, I said I had enough. I had written my letter of resignation in November of 2013, and I finally turned it in in March. It was really hard because it was midway through the school semester, and I was, I felt so sad because I loved my students. I loved the principals, the teachers. I loved everyone, and they loved me, but I was just so miserable at this job, and I knew I didn't want to do this. I also felt a calling to do Miss Resource full-time. So I quit my job without a plan, but I did have some savings. I ended up moving to New York City. Um, one of my soul sisters lent me her couch, and I was there again, starting new on someone's couch. Um, but the universe conspired. You know, the universe heard my my call and and or my cry. And the universe saw that I was listening to the universe by quitting my job and by saving money and being responsible in that way. So I started getting all these small gigs. They were really small, like $200 here, $200 there for Miss Riso's. But I was living in New York City. That's not going to cut it there, right? So finally, I listened all the way and I decided to come back to the Dominican Republic in the summer of 2014. I did it on different basis though. I decided that I wanted to move into a nicer apartment with hot water, with a security guard, with just different commodities that I didn't have before and that would allow me to live more at peace. So I did. I moved in with one of my best friends that actually we met in Boston like 16 years ago. And, um, we decided to be roommates here. We were paying like $290 a month each for this incredible apartment with like three bedrooms, four bathrooms, beautiful kitchen, huge living room. And I remember being in Ikea and purchasing things for the apartment. And I started crying. As I'm pushing my cart, I'm like crying. And I start thinking, gosh, I'm buying the same 
things I once bought before or twice, you know, I'm like, here I am starting again, buying the same things for the kitchen, because that's all I could afford, by the way, back then, I didn't really buy a lot of furniture. Um, and then I wiped my tears, and I realized something, I said, whoa, wait a second, you are so privileged to have the opportunity to start again. So many people don't get that opportunity. And from that moment on, I started seeing this idea of a new beginning of starting again as something positive because it's a privilege to have the courage to start again. It's a privilege to have the funds or to have the opportunities to start again in search and in chase of your dreams. And I was like, I'm here because I want to be here. I'm doing what I want to do. This is a privilege. And so, you know, I got what I needed to get I, and I started seeing things differently. About a few months after I arrived, I decided that I was going to go big or go home. So I'm like, let's do this. Let's open the salon up. And so in September, I actually used all of my savings. Okay, do not do this at home. I used all of my savings and I rented the space for the salon. And I say September, but Keep in mind that I didn't open the salon until December because the road was so broken and we couldn't open, but we ended up opening anyways because we I couldn't just keep paying rent for this closed business, you know? So I opened it in December. And I, I mean, literally like bootstrapping, no money, like it, it's, it was tough, y'all. I didn't have a washing machine at the house. We were washing stuff by hand. So when I opened the salon, I was washing the salon towels by hand and literally doing this every single night and then finally my roommates got us a, a washer but it was like a Japanese washer where you wash on one side and then you spin on the other side and I was doing this every single night I would come home I've done a third floor I would bring my sack of like all the towels from the salon and washing myself um eventually I found someone to wash the towels and then eventually once we moved to the a bigger space in the salon I the first thing I bought was a freaking washing machine, an American washing machine, so that the salon towels are washed at the salon and I don't have anything to do with them. <laughs> I still fold them though. Um, so yeah, and then I slept in a small twin bed for uh, about eight months. Um, and then um, our stove was a stove top. It didn't have an oven or anything and it had like four thingies and two of them didn't work. Our fridge was so small and it was, just, it was really funny, but it's what we had. And, you know, we didn't have a feeling of like, feeling like we were missing out or like, you know, we didn't come from a place of scarcity or at least I could speak for myself. You know, I didn't feel like I was like, oh my God, bore me. It was more like, okay, so I have to work hard to get it, you know, and, and to get the things that I, that I want and the things that I need. And so, and so that's what I've been doing for the past years. Um, every year after 2015, when I started perceiving a little bit of like extra money from gigs that I would do in the States and stuff, I would save up my money and I would buy one thing at a time. So the first year, I bought a bed, like a mattress and I bought, you know, very basic like uh, room furniture. And it was so nice because, you know, I paid like $500, I think, cash for that mattress. And I was so happy because after sleeping in a very small twin mattress that, you know, that wasn't sturdy at all. And it was like, I think on four wooden pallets on the floor um, to have a real mattress felt really, really good. And then the following year I bought a stove, a stove with like six of the thingies. I don't even know what to call them. 
And then um, an actual oven, a big oven. And I love to cook. Those of you who follow me on social media know that I love to cook. So I got that. And then the following year for Mother's Day, because Mother's Day is when things go on sale here. So I got most of my things every Mother's Day of every year. I got a refrigerator and it's like a two-door thing. And it's, it's really cool. I could like freeze a bunch of my smoothie stuff and I can meal prep and 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 store a lot of the, the yummy things that I prepare in the fridge. So these little things I keep getting little by little. And it wasn't until four years after being in this apartment that I started buying like other types of furniture for the living room and the dining room area. And I still have a long way to go. Um, but yeah, so here I, here I am and here I was starting again and getting things again um, and just feeling so blessed and so so fortunate to be able to be in that position um, of getting things and starting again. Uh, so where are we? We are in 2018 and I am working hard AF on my business, on my personal brand. Um, so many hardships still, so many so many struggles, y'all. Like, I can't, y'all don't even know. Like, like seriously, one day I'll be able to share more of the, all the stuff that happens every day, but it's a lot. And what sucks so bad is that what you see of my life on social media, it's not even, I think, 1% of what I go through, both good and bad. And I think it's unfair to me because, and to you, it's unfair to, to both of us because it's unfair to me because I I can't possibly share every single thing that I go through on social media because it's just it's just not it it doesn't make any sense and you know it, it's not right too because there are things that I cannot share at least not now um, and then it's unfair to you because then you see and perceive this very wonderful like um, you know highlight of my life when there's so much struggle and so much shit that I go through behind the scenes. Like, I'm actually, let me be really real right now. I am recording this not from my house, not from my apartment. I I'm not like other podcasts I've done. I'm recording this from the salon at like 10, 14 p.m. because I just finished having a meeting with the accountant because of all the crap that I have to deal with, with the IRS here and all the stuff. So there's all this stuff I go through every day that I don't share that I think it's important that people understand that an entrepreneur like myself goes through because you see the highlights, you see the positive, you see like the the big smile and, and all that stuff. And I'm very, very, very transparent on social media, but you know, there's just things you can't share. So, so anyways, all that to say, I'm not co complaining by any means. Um, just want to share a little more and want to be more transparent. As I mentioned on the first podcast, this is a very intimate space. Um, and I'm excited that you, you're able to get a different picture, <laughs> listen in on a different side of who I am and, and what I've been through and, and what I'm still going through. So that's my life in a nutshell. Of course, I'm, I missed a bunch of things. And of course, um, you know, these things will come up in other future podcast episodes and, and during interviews and, and all that. But I wanted to give you a glimpse of, you know, where did this 
where did Miss Rizos, who you know, um, came from? You know, where did Carolina Contreras come from? And yeah, that's it. I am so excited I was able to share this moment with y'all. I hope you enjoyed listening. This was a much longer podcast than the previous one. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that if I inspired at least one person to, one, understand that your story um doesn't have to, your past and your story doesn't have to determine where you are today necessarily. It can be used to encourage and to inspire you to want to do better, be better, and and help others. And to understand that when you start again, when you fall down, when you have failures and you're able to start again, that that's more of a privilege and not something negative, that we're very lucky if we get to do that. So again, thank you for tuning in and I will catch you on our next podcast. Big hugs. Ciao.